Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Good morning. How are you? I've been reined in with a handheld mic today, so when I get excited and both hands go wide, just bear with me. People at the front which is just Mark and Sharon here, and you two, you'll be able to hear me still, everyone else will miss out. Um, and uh, last week we learned three hand actions, didn't we? Remember? I, c- I can't do them all because I've got a microphone, so I need some help. We learned touch, as in we touched eternal God, and that means we can have fellowship with him, and that fills us with joy. For life. Very good, thank you. Um, there will be one or two moments where I need you to help me with that because I've got this microphone. But I want to start um, with something entirely different, uh, and that's by talking about this lady whose picture will come up on the screen. Her name is Brene Brown. Many of you will know of her. I'm sure she's quite famous. She's a hero of mine. And uh, I first came across Brene Brown about eight, nine years ago. Uh, and it's true to say that Brene Brown has fundamentally altered how I preach. In fact, she fundamentally altered the culture of preaching in this church. And uh, if you want to know why, you should watch her video. She's got two from TED. And if you come across TED Talks, they're like 20 minute talks that are fascinating about innovation, creativity, stuff. Uh, but she's got two. One of them is the fifth most watched TED Talk of all time, 47 million views. The other one, maybe 57 million views. The other one is 17 million views. 74 million people have watched these two videos. She has six number one best-selling books and many other wonderful things. She is an incredible lady. Uh, and her two videos are titled The Power of Vulnerability. Anyone seen it? Change anyone's life? Yeah, thank you. Not just me. Uh, and Listening to Shame. And, uh, and both excellent, both well worth 20 minutes of your time. She was a social worker and an academic, a researcher. She spent her time researching, as a result of her social work, human connection. So how do humans connect with one another? This is your moment. Look at the human beings around you and connect momentarily with them by making eye contact or touching them. And her study on it, many interviews with people, led her to not just investigating human connection, but looking at the topics of vulnerability and shame. And I could talk about this all day, and if you'd like to, ask me about it sometime, or watch her videos, which she, she's better than me. Uh, but uh, we're going to come to shame later in the series, and um, I'm going to talk a little bit about vulnerability today. But she has this definition, which is going to be our starter for 10 this morning, about authenticity. She says, authenticity is being willing to let go of who you think you should be in order to be who you are, which you absolutely have to do for connection. It's a good quote, isn't it? So authenticity is being willing to let go of who you think you should be in order to be who you are, which you absolutely have to do connection. If you are pretending to be something that you are not, genuine connection is impossible. 
That's true, isn't it? I was expecting more nods and smiles and yes and maybe a hearty amen. If you're pretending to be something you're not, then genuine connection with another person is impossible because you're not being who you are. So whatever they connect with is something else, it isn't you. And if you're talking to someone who's pretending to be something else, you're not connecting with them, you're connecting with a mirage, a mass, a falsehood. Pretending to be something we're not makes genuine connection impossible. We must be authentic. We must be authentic. And in 1 John, last week we read, and this week we're going to read again, he doesn't use the word authentic. He doesn't use the word connection, which is what she uses. He uses the word fellowship. Genuine fellowship with God and with one another, and you can clasp your hands together if you so desire. Genuine fellowship with God and with one another requires us to be who we are and not to be pretending to be an imaginary, more acceptable version of ourselves. If you want to connect with God, if you want to have fellowship with God, you can't pretend to be better than you are, even though it's tempting. If you want to connect and have fellowship with the people around you, if you want to be one with them, then you've got to be who you are, because if you're being something else, it's not you that's connecting with them. It's not you that's having fellowship with them. And they don't know the genuine you. With me so far? Excellent. John uses the word fellowship. And we're going to read the passage today. We're continuing in 1 John chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 5. And John is going to give us two gifts. Two gifts that help us in this task of fellowship with God. And they are confession. Everyone say confession. Did you know that confession was a gift? Confession and an advocate. Turn to the person next to you. An advocate. God has given us two gifts to help us have connection with him and with one another. Confession and an advocate. Let's read together. 1 John chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 5 through to chapter 2 verse 2. It sounds a lot, but it's not. Anybody take up my challenge last week to underline things in their Bible? This is your moment. First two words of this passage, do you underline them? This is the message we have heard from him, him being Jesus, the eternal God they touched and declared to you. This is John's headline for the whole book. God is light. Repeat after me. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Excellent. You don't have to repeat the rest, but that bit you do. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, 
I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I have struggled this morning to do one talk that lasts half an hour on that passage and to narrow down the words I want to talk about because it is so rich. If, like me, you grew up in a more liturgical church, you can probably recite verses 8 and 9 off by heart. We confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah? Some nods. Hands up if you knew it was in the Bible when you were a child doing it in school. Or in church. First gift, confession. I started with Brene Brown and the challenge that we need to be truly ourselves. Because if we can't acknowledge our brokenness, our flaws, our shortcomings, if we can't confess our sin, then we will never reach connection with God. But confessing your sin, either to God or, or to somebody else, feels deeply vulnerable, doesn't it? It feels terrifying, if we're honest, to say, I, I got it wrong. I did this thing, and I'm not sure how you're going to feel about it, but I feel bad. I feel remorseful, and I want to offer an apology. It's a terrifying place to find yourself with a friend, with a child, with a parent, with a spouse, before the living God. To be in that vulnerable place of going, I have fallen short. And often we believe the lie that vulnerability equals weakness. And it stops us from being vulnerable. Not just me. Often we believe the lie that vulnerability is weakness and it stops us from going to that place. Yet when we see vulnerability in somebody else, we don't think they're weak. We think they are wonderfully courageous. And I'll tell you how I know that we think they're wonderfully courageous, because every time I've ever stood at the foot of this room and told you about all my flaws, someone has come to me afterwards and gone, I can't believe you're so brave to do that. When we see vulnerability on show in front of us, we think it is highly courageous. But we're scared that it's weakness, and so we don't go there ourselves. But God has given us the gift of confession. That means when we fall short, we can be vulnerable about it before him. And what does the Bible say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and What's the next word? Anyone? Will. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This series that we're doing is called Formation, a practical guide to living free. And this morning what I want to point us towards is that an authentic life of connection with God and with other people is fundamental to living free. An authentic life of connection with God and other people is essential for living free. And John, through this passage, he paints out two paths for us. 
The first path is the path to life. Or the path to light, as I've put on my slide. And the path to light is this. Authenticity, recognising who we are, but not being content and defensive about it, but from that place being prepared to confess our shortcomings and then trust in an advocate. If we can't recognise where we've fallen short, we will never confess and we'll never make use of the advocate and we'll never end up in the light. But there is also a path to darkness, and the path to darkness goes like this. I haven't sinned. What do you mean? That wasn't me. Denial. Followed closely by self-justification. Well, I did it because they did it. Or if you've been in the same situation, you would have done the same. Or you don't understand my background means that's how I respond. And we justify ourselves. And that leads us to disconnection. Because we're not being who we are. We're painting out, but we're something else. There's a path to light, which goes authenticity, confession, and embracing our advocate. But there's a path to darkness, where we deny, self-justify, and end up disconnected. And this morning, each and every one of us in this room has a choice to make about which path we'd like to walk. And at the end of my time, I'm going to call you to choose which path you would like to walk this morning. Would you like to walk the path to light, or would you like to walk the path to darkness? Each of us has been walking on a path. If we're honest, most of us have been walking on both, kind of like this. But this morning there is a chance to choose a path. Would you like to walk on the path to light or the path to darkness? So I prepare yourselves. It's kind of a serious moment. I want to clear up one definition before we continue looking at confession. And that is that in this passage, John has both sin and sins in view. And that's a little bit confusing, so let me explain what he means. When he's talking about sin, he's talking about that overall condition of a broken relationship with God, because we are found to be inadequate when we are compared against the purity of his character. That's the whole of the condition of the human race. We are all found wanting in light of God, and it's broken our relationship with him. That is sin, which John is talking about. But he's also talking about sins. And these are the moments where we break the, the moral and or ethical quality of what God is like. In our thoughts, our words, our actions, our inaction. When we have not loved him with our whole heart, and we have not loved other people as ourselves. Sins are those moments of thought, word, or deed. Sin is the overall condition. And John has his eyes on both, and we're going to touch on both through the rest of this time. Okay, are you with me so far? You're prepared to be authentic and recognize your flaws and failures. And I'm not about to get you to turn to the person next to you. But we're prepared to go there, right? Have a little think inside. Maybe I've messed up somewhere. Maybe I fell short. When we become aware of those moments, maybe now, as I've just pointed it out, but maybe in life, when you become aware that you've done something wrong or thought something wrong or said something wrong, or when you get the sense that something is wrong, what do you do? Because we live in a world that trains us to do one of two things. To distract ourselves by keeping busy, 
and deny that there's even a problem. Or to self-medicate so that we numb the pain and hide from it. I talked about this quite a lot last term, two whole weeks. When something feels wrong or we know we've done wrong, our world teaches us to either deny that we did it and keep busy and it'll be okay if we just don't look at it, or eat loads of food, or do loads of fun things, or turn to addictive substances, or go shopping, or do something to numb the pain that we're feeling as the Holy Spirit convicts us in our hearts of the thing that we did and we know we really shouldn't have done, or the thing that we said and is eating us up inside. We have a choice when we find ourselves in that place and we recognise our shortcomings. We can deny or hide, but God says there's a third option, and the third option is come to me. And I've written down a green pen on my notes after Jessica. I dare you to come and see how good I am. It's amazing when prophetic contributions are basically what you were going for anyway in your talk. When we get the sense that something is wrong, when we know that we've done something wrong, the call of God is, I dare you, come to me and see how good I am. What did verse 8 say? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and What's that next word? Will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The call of God is come to me. In the midst of pain and discomfort, guilt, shame, fear, inadequacy, shortcoming, the call of God is come to me. I think one of the most helpful things I've read preparing for this talk is this very simple sentence that says, walking in the light means not hiding sin from God. Because I be walking the light and I think I've got to be perfect. But what John has in mind is that walking in the light means not hiding our sin from God. And there is an undercurrent through this passage and I must fight not to go down this tangent. But as you read it, you go, this reminds me of a story that I've read very near the beginning of the Bible in a garden, where someone accuses God of being a liar, and then they end up hiding. You know that story? The story of Adam and Eve, and the snake, the accuser comes, and says, no, that's not what we're saying, he's lying to you. And they believe him, and they bite the apple, and instantly are filled with this sense that something is not right. So where do they go? The bushes. And they hide. And God comes looking for them. Where are you? Come to me. How can we meet God in the painful depths of our hearts, in the painful parts of our lives, if we aren't prepared to go there? How can we ever hope to find healing from God? if we aren't prepared to acknowledge what's going on inside. How can we ever find freedom if we don't admit that there is part of us that needs transforming into freedom? 
This is where the gift of confession comes in, friends. To confess our sins is to believe that God is faithful. To hide or to deny our sins is to say that God lies. To confess our sins is to believe that God is faithful. To hide or deny our sins is to say that God lies. So what John just said. Verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. How can one who is light and in whom there is no darkness at all welcome in to his loving fellowship? Thank you. Are you there? Are you with me? How can one who is light, in whom there is no darkness at all, welcome into his loving fellowship ones who have made their home in darkness? How? If there's no darkness in him, how can we who have lived in darkness be in him? How can he welcome those who, even though we've been born again into light, are still prone to wander back to darkness? How? You see, we need more than authenticity. Our culture tells us all you need to be is your authentic self. All you need to be is comfortable in your own skin. And if you can acknowledge who you are and become content with that, you will find life. And Jesus says that's not quite enough. You need more than being who you truly are. You need confession. You need to recognize your shortcomings before God. You need to acknowledge your sin before God. And John says, no, no, we, we need more. We need an advocate as well. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, we read earlier. And now this is my moment of definition. What is an advocate? Turn to the person next to you. Do you know what an advocate is? If you do, feel free to tell one another. On the spot. This is what an advocate is from what I've read. Someone who stands in solidarity with another. Who comes and stands alongside you in the midst of your experience and situation, who knows what it is to stand in your shoes. But there's something else. They also have to have more power than you. Because they use that power to fight on your behalf. There's no point in having an advocate who can't do anything for you. All they can do is pat you on the back. Now, in the moments in our world where we advocate, we are lending our power to help other people. If you go to court, you might get a professional advocate who has the power and the knowledge to do what you can't do. Some of you may be part of advocacy organisations where you lend your voice because your voice, sadly, is more powerful than many voices in the world. An advocate has to have more power than the one they're coming to stand alongside. If anybody does sin, there is a guarantee of help from one who has more power than others. That's what John wants you to know. You've got an advocate. There is one who will come and stand with you in your situation and fight on your behalf. Sounds like good news, doesn't it? You can be who you truly are, can recognise some of your shortcomings, but there is one who will come and stand with you and fight on your behalf. 
who will lend his power to your cause to see transformation. And I think pretty much every week in 1 John, we're going to find ourselves flicking back to John to read little bits where he's obviously developing his thought process. And today, here's a verse from John chapter 1, the famous introduction to his gospel, verses 9 to 12. I skipped a whole chunk in the middle. He says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We have no power to become children of God on our own. But one has come to stand with us who has the power to give us the right to become children of God. You know, your children are like you. So when we're children of God, it means we become like God. Become like Jesus. It says in Hebrews that he's not ashamed to call us his brother. He's our advocate, friends. And I think we sometimes get this wrong as Christians. Not just for forgiveness. He doesn't just plead our case and say, oh, not guilty. But he's our advocate for transformation as well. He purifies, he forgives our sins and purifies us from all unrighteousness. We are forgiven and we are transformed because of our advocate, Jesus. He brings us into the light as children of God. God has given us a gift, two gifts, the gift of confession and the gift of an advocate that enable us to come into the light and live free as we truly are, but not just as we are, but being transformed into who God has in his heart for us to be. I have one final question I need to answer. Before I do, I want to speak to people in the room for whom this might be the first time you're hearing this, or it might be the first time you're believing this, or it might be gripping you in a fresh way this morning. You're saying, wow, I can accept this and present it to God and he'll accept me. I don't need to pretend to be better than I am in order for God to accept me. This is good news. And I want to tell you it is good news. And in a moment, we're going to come down, we're going to take communion, eat bread, drink Rabina together. And that's an act of participating in Jesus, of being united with Jesus, of receiving him as our advocate who will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And I want to invite you. Maybe you walked in here this morning and you wouldn't have called yourself a Christian or becoming real for you in a way this morning that it wasn't before. But you can do that. And you can say, I'm accepting that advocate. I want to become light. I want my life to be you. And I'll strongly encourage you that is an excellent decision to make. But I want to talk to the other people in the room for a moment with my final question. These are the people who have done that before. You've chosen to follow Jesus. You've been born again into light and you're doing your best to live your life following me. That might be you. Might be the person next to you. What about when we sin as children of God? This is the question that John is cutting to the heart of. And I want to say some very simple truths that might help you. Number one, sin is no longer your identity. Because you remember my definition of sin and sins? Sin is about the broken relationship that we have with God. Apart from we've been united with him into light by our advocate. And so we're no longer in a state of sin. We had a little conversation before last week because we sang a song where it talks about knowing I'm a sinful man. 
Sometimes I try and make you sing, knowing I was a single man. I decided my bigger problem now is that 60% of the room is singing on a man when they're a woman. But anyway, it's, it's a song, it's poetry, right, whatever. I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint. If you place your faith in Jesus, you're no longer a sinner. You are a saint. Your condition before God is not one of sin. You are his beloved child. It's really important to understand this. John feels able to say, I write this to you so that you will not sin. We, we could spend a lot of time talking about that. I'm not sure I would have the guts to stand up at the beginning of a preach and say, I'm doing this so that you will not sin. But I'm pretty sure this passage gives me a license to. John's heart is that we will not sin, but I'm very thankful he continued because he says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. I really enjoyed a book I read recently called Gentle and Lowly by an author called Dan Orton. And in it he says this, though we forsake our identity as children of God, our Saviour does not forsake us. Jesus told a handful of stories about things that got lost but God went looking for them again. Sheep that wandered off and got caught in the hedges. Coins that got lost under the sofa. Sons who left home. We might forsake our true identity as children of God, but friends, our Saviour will never forsake us. And so when we find ourselves in this position of being children of the light, but having done something of darkness, we have a choice. There are two paths before us. There is the path to light, which goes authenticity. I messed up. Confession. God, I'm so sorry I messed up. And if you've offended someone else in that process, I'm so sorry that I messed up. Followed by an advocate who comes and stands on your behalf and says, come into the light. Or you have the path to darkness. We have the slide back up, Susie, over those two paths on. And the path to darkness goes denial. I didn't do anything wrong. What do you mean? Self-justification. Who would have done it to? Oh, I only did it because my dad, my mum, my boss, my child, my spouse, the devil. Self-justification is a horrible inoculation that stops us walking the path to life. And the destination of the path to darkness is disconnection. And so it doesn't mean you lose your salvation, but it does mean you spend your life like this, kind of looking in darkness, unable to enjoy the fullness of joy that Jesus, your advocate, has made. Which path do you want to walk? Path to light? Path to darkness? Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? Just reflect. Found myself praying in tears in the worship that I could do the best or worst job of preaching that I could possibly do, but the reality is that what this message needs is the spirit to bring conviction to sin. Because I don't care if you think that I think you're a sinner. 
doesn't matter if I'm telling you that you've done something wrong. What matters is a recognition, an authentic recognition of this is where I am. That's why I invite you to open your heart to the Spirit. Say, if there's anything you want to point out in my heart, any thoughts, any word, any action, any inaction that I need to confess. That's getting in the way of me living in the light. Holy Spirit, which I love you. Maybe you'd like to confess. Maybe you'd like to begin to get very joyful that you have an advocate who stands by your side. Friends, we all have a choice this morning which path we want to walk. The path into light or the path into darkness. Can open your eyes if you're able. We're going to take communion. We've got bread and Wibia, as I said. All the cups you're able to take if alcohol is a problem for you. If gluten is a problem for you, this is your table. I think I didn't say out this morning. Who said out? This one's the gluten free? Excellent. Gluten, gluten free, all of it's Wibia. And what we're doing, we're coming, we're taking the bread, and it's reminding us that Jesus is our advocate. That he fights for us, that he transforms us. And we're drinking the wine as a reminder that we are forgiven, washed clean. We are now children of light. And I want to encourage you, savour the chewing this morning. You might find that the use of your sense helps you realise that you are confessing your sin, that you're coming close and clinging on to Jesus and that he's bringing you into the light. We're going to worship together as well. Eat the bread. Confess your sin. Celebrate that you have an advocate who stands by your side with more power than you to bring you into the light. The band want to come back up. If it's your first time accepting that truth this morning, you're like, yes, I want that Jesus to fight for me. I'd invite you to come take the bread and the wine. I would love to pray with you. Um, to that effect, I'll be over here. We'd love just to pray with you as we worship together. I'm very friendly, honest, and uh, want to get you started. That's the best start that you can in your life following Jesus. This week in the newsletter, we're going to send out uh, what's called an axiom. I think that's how you say it. It's a practice that people have used for 2,000 years following Jesus that helps you reflect on your day. I don't use it every day, but some days I do. Examine. Examine. Sorry. Maybe that's how the servants say it. And uh, just offer it to you as a tool to help you live this practically out in your life. Because we don't just confess when someone gets up in a church and say, we We don't confess by going into a box and talking to someone through a veil. We can confess by relying on the conviction of the Spirit, and He does by His grace do it for us. But friends, we want to partner with God in our transformation. And sometimes we need to give the energy and the time and the attention to going, Am I okay? God, how am I before you today? Would you call to mind anything I need to confess and repent of? So I pray that that examine, 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 whatever. The questions we send you this week in the newsletter are really helpful and help us to practically walk into freedom and live in the freedom that Jesus wants for us. Should we stand to our feet? I want to pray real quick for us. Then the band will start playing and singing. 
And you're welcome at any point whilst they're doing so to come and get your communion and take the bread and wine. You can take it back to where you are, you can take it at the front, it'll be a mess. It's fine. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? Father, we thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just and you will. You will. You will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, I thank you. That means there is no fear of a weakness of vulnerability before you because we know that the outcome will be that you will forgive us. And so, Lord, I pray by your spirit, would you come? Would you enable us to recognize who we truly are and how we truly are before you this morning? That we might confess our sins and receive our advocate, that we might live in victory and freedom and light and not walk the path of darkness. That we may truly have the freedom you want for us and enjoy the life of joy that you have given us in fellowship with yourself and